Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome into episode 239 of Living Off the Land, and it is Thursday night. And you know what that means? Well, it means Thursday Night Football on Amazon Prime, but it also means Living Off the Land this week. Indeed. Uh, and we are we are a day late this week, but never a dollar short. Uh, never. Should we explain why we're a day late this week? You want to take uh, it away? It's funny how you mentioned dollar short because, yeah, that's how <laughs> I feel right now. Because uh, <laughs> Cha-ching! Yeah, so there was a real uh, big problem with the— uh, Oh, one of the parts inside my furnace, and there was a possibility that it would start spewing CO and CO2 into my house. You never want so, CO. So that's uh, that's it. So uh, that thing's gone. Uh, brand new system is in. Brand new 16-seer air conditioner also went in today. So Hey-oh. Yeah. Uh, huge shout-out to the guys at JNR Heating and Cooling uh, who uh, did that job. Fantastic uh, family-owned company. Oh, you mean you didn't go so. with Sally? Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> we do love Sal's eating cooling, but no, they guys, did not get this job. You guys, you guys, listen. Anybody wants to understand what the hell that noise is I just made? Uh, you have to listen to uh, the really big show, uh, and have been listening to it for the last several years to understand that reference. But this isn't the really big show. This is living off the land. I'm Dan. This is Stephen. I'm Stephen, and we are here. It's a little bit weird on a Thursday night, like Steve said. We've got uh, Thursday night football on in the background. And let's just jump right into it. Let's let's try let's try and get through it. Um, here with the beer of the week, and I got to tell you, I'm excited about this one, guys. We've had this on the show. We're in the Christmas beer season. Uh, Ryan was here last week. He brought us the tracksuit Santa from Columbus Brewing. Fantastic Christmas ale. But we are going elite level here. This is my opinion. The goat of Christmas ales. Anywhere the best. The OG <laughs> The OG is Great Lakes, but the goat is Thirsty Dog. Mm. 12 dogs of Christmas ale. It is the best Christmas ale you can get. And here just a little blurb about it. The beer's name sums up the idea of bringing the best together to celebrate. It is filled with seasonal flavors from generous amounts of toasted and caramel or caramel? Caramel. Ooh, yeah, that's a tomato, tomato. Yeah, caramel malts mixed with equally equally generous amounts of honey, cinnamon, ginger, and nutmeg. We feel is the perfect libation filled with flavors of the season. Uh, So, yeah, like I said, it's for me, it's the best. Uh, It's got an 89 score on Beer Advocate. Uh, 8.3% ABV, and let's see. Let's take a taste. Oh, yeah. It's the best. Uh, I, I really don't know what else there is to say about it. It is just, for me, it's the best Christmas sale there is. Uh, Thirsty Dog Brewing Company, which is located in Akron, Ohio. So we're going a little south here. South of Cuyahoga County to A.K. Rowdy. That's right. Uh, Fear the Rue, which I do not. But anyway, um, their football team sucks. 
Uh, shout out, Mike and Anthony. Uh, yeah. Uh, I don't have anything else. They suck. Anyway, Christmas ale, the best Christmas ale there is. 12 Dogs of Christmas Ale, which is an ale brewed with honey and spices, which I already, uh, which I already talked about. This is an interesting old school logo or can art on here. It's it's a it's a beer truck with dogs and Christmas hats and you know the North Pole and all that good stuff. But uh, yeah, if you haven't had uh, Twelve Dogs of Christmas Ale from Thirsty Dog, you need to go try it. If you like Christmas sales at all, you need to try this. It is the best. So if I'm going to rate 12 Dogs of Christmas Ale, I'm trying to think of what I gave it last year. I can't remember off the top of my head. be interesting to see if your opinion has changed at all in the last 12 months. I mean, every year is a new year, and there is uh, there are beers that change from year to year. So it is, it is uh, interesting. Uh, I'm going to go 8.2 on 12 Dogs of Christmas Ale from Thirsty Dog. 8.2. 8.2. Is the number, and if you know me and you know the, the beer rating system, if you're in the eights, you make, this is an excellent beer. So hats off to Thirsty Dog. Uh, another smash hit this year with uh, 12 Dogs of Christmas Ale. And go ahead and get it anywhere you get your beer. It is available pretty much everywhere in Northeast Ohio, I would imagine, that sells beer uh, because it is the Christmas season. And obviously, this is a seasonal beer, beer, beer for Christmas. 8.3% is already getting to me, I guess. So, that is the beer of the week. Well, let's process onward here into Better Know a Neighborhood, and we've continued over the last few weeks to highlight some of the prime suburban territory around Greater Cleveland in Cuyahoga County and maybe just outside the county. Uh, tonight, we're going to be directly south of the city, uh, just barely within Cuyahoga County. This is a one of the top communities in the area that it doesn't get a lot of the press of some of the other ones because there's not like any like we talked about some cities with some huge shopping malls and you know with it being holiday shopping season and everything this city's not really in that boat but it, it's much more aesthetically pleasing to many uh particularly its residential areas and its parkland is about as good as you'll find anywhere hmm. i am talking about the city of brexville Ooh. Brexville is located in south-central Cuyahoga County, literally just right on the border with Summit County. Its northern boundary is at Sprague Road. Its western boundary kind of jogs along I-77, uh, either just east or just west of it. Uh, southern boundary is right along the Ohio Turnpike, and the eastern boundary is the Cuyahoga River. So if you can imagine that, so you've got like Sagamore Hills in Macedonia to its east. You've got Broadview Heights and North Royalton to the west, and then Richfield to the south, Independence to the north. And Brexville, uh, the median ho home price in Brexville, it's, again, it's right up there with some of these ones we've talked about, you know, your Beachwoods and Hudson's. And, well, actually, we haven't done Hudson yet, but um, Avon um, and Strongsville, some of these other ones. Uh, the average home price in Brexville, $384,000. So you're talking about some upper middle class to upper class territory. So are you trying to say Brexville is a little bit bougie? Yes. Ah. Absolutely it is. 
and you have some really palatial estates actually Ooh. on the east and southeast side of town uh kind of along the hill line like right as you start to drop toward the Cuyahoga river and some of these houses well they're strategically placed because you have some of the best views mm-hmm. out of those <laughs> out of those windows that you'll find anywhere in Cuyahoga county in fact we might as well just start right over in that area on the east and southeast side of town the brexville reservation is the largest cleveland metro parks reservation in the emerald necklace it is it literally stretches almost from downtown Brexville all the way to the to the town's southern border and over to its eastern border. The Ohio and Erie Canal towpath trail runs through it uh, right along the Cuyahoga River. The stretch in Brexville goes from the Station Road Bridge over down to the Boston Mill Ski Area, which we'll be talking about a little bit more in a second. Um, I can't tell you how, how many times I've been down that particular stretch of trail, and it is just absolutely gorgeous um just a fantastic natural area for running or um i don't know if you can you can't not really fish but like the river's not really deep enough to to really um canoe or hike or um kayak on either but it's um you can definitely ride bikes through there too um very nice area particularly in um in the springtime and then again in fall particularly when the uh when the trees just all go crazy. Um, again, I mentioned at the ba- at the bottom end of that, the towpath trail is the Boston Mill Ski Area. That's where, pretty much where I-271 intersects uh, the towpath and Riverview Road. Boston Mill's Brandywine Ski Area has 16 trails for skiing and snowboarding, as well as a complete snowboard park and uh, snow tubing as well. And I've spent a fair amount of time over here um, in recent years, I don't think I've been there really since the pandemic, but, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm not like a super avid skier. Like I haven't been to Colorado or, or even to some of the best ski resorts in the East. I'd really like to actually, cause it's a really fun activity. It's something that if you do a lot of summertime activities like swimming or golf or, you know, other stuff like that, you don't really have a lot of activities, you know, outdoors in the wintertime, but if you're into skiing or snowboarding, that's actually a good compliment. Um, and Boston Mills Brandywine is one, uh, it is the top ski area in the Cleveland area. So, uh, if you've never been there, if you've never tried skiing or snowboarding, I do highly suggest that you do give it a shot on one of these days that probably after we get our first big winter storm, probably whenever we get one, eventually probably the best time to go. Boston Mills Brandywine ski area will op- is projected to open on December 17th, but obviously that'll be weather permitting. Mm. Um, we have not, I mean, we've gotten one sort of snowfall, but that was not much of one unless if you were out in the snow belt. So uh, we're still kind of waiting for that first big blast of winter. I'm sure we'll get it at some point. Turning your attention back toward the downtown area, uh, most of the, well, actually, before I do that, as we move toward the downtown area on Route 21, which is Brexville Road, uh, I want to. At the other end, so if you think about it, at the far east end of the Metro Park Reservation in Brexville is Boston Mills Brandywine. On the far other side along Brexville Road is Sleepy Hollow Golf Course, mm. which is one of the top golf courses, certainly public golf courses, in the Cleveland area. Yes, I'd agree Everything with Everything the Cleveland Metro Parks turns, basically turns to lush green, and that is so true at Sleepy Hollow. This is a par 72 layout track that has a slope rating of 133, which means it's it's pretty difficult. And there are some holes on this course that are absolutely spectacular. 
One in particular I want to highlight is number two, which is the first par three. 204 yards. C-shaped hole where you are shooting basically over a valley. I'm sorry, but any, any – And you got to get on the green, and, and there's like bunkers around it too. It's just a ridiculous hole. Any par three that's over 200 yards can get bent. <laughs> right. If I got to pull out a wood on the tee of a par three, well, that's a bad out, well, I'll that's pull a out day. a wood all right. Oh, boy. Hey-o. Is that where we're going with Hey-o. this already? Hit the dump button. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's been plenty of dumps taken on this course, I can tell you that. Ah. Um, <laughs> honestly, if you if you're shooting if you're shooting a good score on this course, you're you're a good player. So uh Sleepy Hollow, of course, is on Brexville Road, uh, about a half mile south of downtown Brexville. And as we move in toward downtown Brexville, this is where a lot of your uh top local businesses are you you do have a let's see, your courtyard cafe is there you've got creekside restaurant and bar which is a fabulous traditional american restaurant that, which overlooks which is they actually have a deck on the outside of it which overlooks chippewa creek fantastic views as you uh take in your lunch or dinner uh austin's wood fire grill is is there that's like your more um more of a dinner spot as opposed to a lunch or a brunch spot um been there too fabulous food there uh and there's a whole bunch of other local businesses there as well uh kind of in that central area along route 82 and route 21 along with a whole bunch of other chain places as well so that's that's kind of like your commercial apex and then you kind of have more commercial stuff going on as you go up brexville road north of route 82 uh that's generally a mix of of local businesses and also uh, some chain restaurants as well as you work your way up toward independence. Um, a lot of churches along that corridor too. And a lot of them are it, that whole corridor between independence, Parma and Brexville and Broadview Heights and North Royalton. Um, you have a lot of your ethnic churches and uh, synagogues and other and temples uh, of all different nationalities and, and all different sects are kind of all in this area. If you go pretty much from Route 82 up north toward Rockside Road and then pretty much everywhere in between, uh, a lot of them are in that corridor. Because again, these are these are neighborhoods that have very – that have a lot of money. I'll just put it out there, uh, as I said, with the average home price. Pretty much the majority of the rest of Rexville is, again, either woods and green space or is taken up by housing. And there's, there's, there is a bit of industrial area on the south end of town. If you go down Route 21 back down toward I-77 and um, oh, it? Um, I-77 and I-80. In fact, well, perhaps the most noteworthy one in that complex is House of LaRose, which is a uh, Budweiser distributor. Um, that's one of the larger, but I think it's the largest, uh, bud distributor in the Cleveland area. So you wonder everywhere, wonder where that comes from. That's right there by 77 and 80. So that's pretty much Brexville in a nutshell. Great area to get outside and do things and great area to, uh, meet up with some people in the downtown. The downtown's actually very nice. Um, and then it's mostly just, uh, people living their best life besides that. So that is Brexville, and you can wham it with the right hand. There you go. Another one on the board. Uh, all right. So that's Beer of the Week. That's Better Know a Neighborhood. Now let's talk about the week that was. 
with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Come on, Cavs. Dee-dee-dee. Gonna make it happen. Come on, Cavs. With your fast break action. Gotta make it happen. All right. So, the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, their latest game they won when LeBron came back to town, 116-102 over the Lakers. That was on Tuesday. Uh, but let's go back. Yeah, so they played four games within the past week, and three of them were at home, three of them were wins, and one of them was on the road, and that was a very dumpy performance against yeah. the Knicks in which the Cavs lost. The Cavs scored 81 points. Starting to notice a noticeable trend between the Cavs playing at home and away. Seems like they are... St- having a lot of those like lethargic not really getting up for performances on the road like the last time they played before that Knicks game on the road they only scored 88 points in the loss to the Raptors well here's all you um, need to know we're we have the best record in the NBA at home at 11 and 1 we're 5 and 8 on the road that's smoking 11 and 1 you know we're 5 and 8 on the road though yeah you know, i you know honestly as well as the Cavs are playing at home if they do even 500 on the road, this is going to be a great season, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, will they be able to continue to beat all comers on their home floor? I mean, that's sort of debatable, but, man, they beat Philadelphia by 28. They they beat Boston at home. They've beaten Boston. I mean, they beat Orlando this week. That is not really a big surprise. Orlando's terrible, but, you know, took care of business there. Took care of business against the Lakers. The Lakers pushed the Cavs for a while in that game, but the Cavs just flattened the Lakers in the fourth quarter. Uh, no, uh, uh, lo- let me rephrase that. Donovan Mitchell flattened the Lakers in the fourth quarter. Okay. Donovan Mitchell basically said, hey, LeBron, yeah, your hold on this franchise, it's done. It's over. Get out. I'm. It's it's almost like the uh, – what what's the movie, uh, the Tom Hanks movie where – is it Tom Hanks? I think it's Tom Hanks. Uh, where the uh, uh, the pirate gets on the boat and he says, "I'm the captain now." Oh yeah, Captain Phillips. Yeah, yep. That's when that's the Somali guy comes on the. That's basically yeah. like what Donovan Mitchell said to to LeBron. He's like, "This is my franchise now." Hmm. It's like when uh, I watched Miracle uh, the other the other day or uh, last week, and uh, it, it, the part for. Um, uh, Coach Brooks's pregame speech against, uh, as they're about to go up against the Soviet Union, where he goes, "Their time, it's over, it's done." I feel like that's what Donovan Mitchell said to LeBron, because remember, LeBron entering that game was eight and one against the Cavs all time. Eight and one. Last year he came in. He came in with a pretty poopy. Lakers team, and he smacked us around pretty good. Yeah, that was one of the Cavs' worst games of the season, if I recall. Yeah. And uh, Donovan Mitchell wasn't having any of that last night. Donovan Mitchell scored 43 points last night after scoring, I think, two in the first quarter. Hmm. He ended up with 43 points. The guy was just electric. He was he was incredible. He was doing it on both ends with steals and deflections and you know, big time baskets taking over the game. You know, he took the ball and he's like, "All right, I'm going to take over the game." That's not to say like Darius Garland had a bad game. Jared Allen actually kept us afloat in the first half. He had 22 points in the first half, only scored two in the second half. But we needed every single one of those two uh, 22 points in the first half. But Donovan Mitchell, uh, he's just—I mean, he—he—he 
You know, I tweeted during that game that Karis LeVert was Larry Hughes reincarnated. If you watch as opposed Karis, to Ira Newell, well, if you watch if you watch Karis LeVert play, it just screams uh, Larry Hughes's Cavs uh, career. Actually, I take that back. Isaac Okoro is Ira Newell. Yes, that I will agree with. That's about spot on. Yeah. Karis LeVert is Larry Hughes. Donovan Mitchell, he's another former Cavalier reincarnated. See if you can guess. Donovan Mitchell reincarnated from back before. Mm -hmm. Former Cavalier. Uh, In terms of sheer ability, I mean, you're – you're probably talking about somebody like Mark Price, perhaps, but I think his game is a lot different than that. Um, recent Cavalier. Oh, more recent. Um, Mo Williams? No. No. New. No. Hmm. He's Dwayne Wade reincarnated. Not Dwayne Wade when he was on the Cavs. Oh, okay. Dwayne Wade when he was with the Heat. He, Donovan Mitchell, when you watch him play, go... Go and watch old Dwayne Wade highlights. They're like the same player, except I would say Donovan Mitchell's a better jump shooter. Uh, yeah, I would agree with that. Now, obviously, Dwayne Wade is a four-time NBA champion, uh, first ballot Hall of Famer, if he isn't in already. I can't remember if he's in yet. Uh, Might not have been out of the league for long enough to be in. Dwayne Wade is one of the best two guards ever played in the NBA. Oh, without a doubt. Probably top five. Yeah. Donovan Mitchell's game is so eerily similar to his body style, body type, uh, ability to get to the rim for a guy that's not that big. Remember, Dwayne Wade was no bigger than 6'3". No. I think Donovan Mitchell was one of the first guys who, like, legitimized guards playing in the post. Yeah. yeah, Even at a lower size. Yeah. And I think Donovan Mitchell's, like, 6'2". He's not big either. Now, Donovan Mitchell has, like, a 7-foot wingspan, but... Height-wise, he's not that big. No, he's no bigger than Darius Garland, height-wise. But he's built like a freaking NFL running back. And he's he's just, he is everything and more. He's like, an MVP candidate. Oh, 100%. Absolutely. He was getting that. You know what was interesting was at the end of that game, they had already subbed LeBron out. LeBron was sitting on the bench. This is probably the first time this has ever happened when LeBron has come back and not playing for the Cavaliers that he's heard MVP chants in that building, and they weren't for him. Not for him. Yep. That's where we're at now, folks. Yeah. Yeah. And listen, Evan Mobley didn't even really play well. I don't even think he had 10 points. I think he had like seven points. He was, for some reason, he was very passive against the Lakers. But, you know, with Jared Allen going for 22 in the first half and Donovan Mitchell going for 43 uh, overall... You know, Darius Garland gave him his gave his normal twenty and ten. Yeah, as though that's like not good. <laughs> Jared Allen, Donovan Mitchell, and Darius Garland combined for eighty eight points. It's almost impossible for the Cavs to lose on on nights where that's the case. Oh yeah, I mean like, anybody. Like unless they're giving up like one hundred and twenty five points or one hundred and thirty or something crazy like that. You know, which was impossible that night mm-hmm. after Anthony Davis went out with flu like symptoms. Here's something. I, this, the Lakers reported that he had a fever the yeah. morning of the game. Okay. What the hell is he doing out there on the floor? Yeah, good question. 
they, I'm assuming they must have given them a COVID test. Well, it's not just that. It's just you got a fever. I mean, unless he just didn't say anything to uh, the team staff, like, hey, I'm not feeling which, well. Because maybe he wanted to play. Which, if that's so, possible. If so, that is irresponsible. I swear to God, if in the next week any Cavs player has to sit out because of test like, positive. flu-like. Not yeah, test positive, or, or, just just flu-like symptoms, I'm going to be pissed. Hmm. Yeah, even, I would be too. It's not like he said he was sick during – like he didn't like first say he was sick during the game. They said he had a fever the, the morning of. Why is he playing? Anyway, uh, he has been playing out of this world over the last couple of weeks, so I'm actually glad that he didn't end up playing most of that game because even though we won by 14 – that game was nip and tuck until middle of the fourth quarter. Yeah. We might not have won that game if the, Anthony the Davis score had played. was not indicative of how the game went, honestly. Yeah, I mean, one, I mean, the game was pretty close, and then Donovan Mitchell in the fourth quarter just took over. So that was awesome. Donovan Mitchell's awesome. He's an MVP candidate. Where would you slot him right now as, as an MVP candidate? Oh, man. Uh... Well, probably behind Giannis. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's probably the only guy that I would put for sure ahead Jokic, of him right now. Jokic, Doncic. I mean, I think I think Doncic. I wouldn't put, I wouldn't put Jokic or Doncic clearly ahead, not I mean, based on where their teams are in the standings. Yeah, Doncic is averaging thirty-five points a game, though. I mean, you could make and, a case for Doncic, maybe. And Jokic like, is the back-to-back MVP, so I, which is undeserved. At least the second one of those was undeserved, in my opinion. But yeah, I know. mean, it's a regular season award. He he hasn't really proven right. in the playoffs. I but. mean, Denver's not doing that bad. They're fourteen and ten. They're uh, off to a halfway decent start. I Jason Tatum, I'd put up there. The yeah, Celtics like, are. Who do you pick on the Celtics? Crazy I mean, I guess the Celtics right are now. twenty-one and five. Which, they are hey, crazy hot. Two of those L's came from the Cavs. This is true, which is cool. Uh, but yeah, if you're gonna make a case for any one guy on the Celtics, it probably is Jason Tatum. Yeah, I mean, he's he's. So I would, I mean, I would say it's pretty interchangeable. But I, I think Donovan Mitchell probably is in the top five. Yeah, right now, as far as MVP goes, I mean, I mean he's who, averaging thirty points a game. His team is sixteen and nine. I mean, who else is in the discussion? John Morant, Devin Booker. I yeah, mean, those guys are probably there. Yeah, I mean, for me, I think Giannis is number one. I don't think it's very yeah, especially yeah. especially if you're just grading him against Donovan Mitchell. I mean, the 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 Bucks have waxed us the two times they played. Bucks us. are 18 and 6. They have the second best record in the NBA right now. Yeah. Um So I think Giannis is a clear-cut one. I would probably put Doncic above uh Donovan. Close. Just cuz statistically he's been so spectacular. Yeah, and then even though even though I think even though we've beaten them twice, they're twenty-one and five. I think him and him and Jason Tatum are probably like neck and neck. Hmm. So I think Donovan Mitchell's probably in that three-four, and then like you said, Ja or Devin Booker. I mean, it's so inner. The top five for me, I think it's Giannis, and then like the next four, it's like okay, you can convince me of anything. You know who's not in that mix? Who's that? Kevin Durant. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, also is not in that mix. James Harden. <laughs> Let me see. Is there anybody else? Kyrie Irving. <laughs> well, I mean, I, has Kyrie Irving ever been an MVP candidate? <laughs> the 
don't get me wrong. That's not me taking a shot at Kyrie on the on the floor. He's probably a top ten. Top Maybe that's part player. of the reason why he wanted out of Cleveland and he wanted to be his own guy because he was like so great here. He was yeah. never the MVP yeah, that, or that, something. Yeah, like. yeah, that worked out real well for him. Yeah. So yeah, I mean he's he's had that that special of a season and. You know, I think that that kind of puts Darius Garland in the shadows a little bit, but he's been great. You know, he missed he missed five out of the first six games, but ever since he's come back, I think he's averaging like twenty three points and like almost nine assists. Like that's fantastic. Yeah. What, what, what more can you ask? The only thing that I will say, and I, I've I've started to see signs of this, and it's so encouraging. We didn't see it against the Lakers. I need Evan Mobley to get way more assertive. Hmm. The one thing that I feel like is going to hold him back is his lack of, I don't want to say killer instinct. Lack of wanting or needing the ball. Yeah, and I guess I guess he kind of, maybe he feels like he kind of has to fall into a pecking order of that because like he's the youngest on the team and Donovan Mitchell's having such a great year, so... You know, obviously he's not going to demand the ball when Donovan Mitchell's so hot, and then Darius Garland obviously runs the show. So, you know, maybe there's a little bit of that going on. He's still very young. He's very soft-spoken. Um, I have seen it more recently where he's – a lot of times when he gets the ball, he goes. Like he doesn't second – there's no second thoughts. When he gets the ball on the elbow or in the post, he goes and he tries to score. Mm-hmm. I like that a lot. And obviously, we all know about how how insanely incredible of a defensive player he is. I mean, he's going he's going to win Defensive Player of the Year in the NBA in the next five years. Cavaliers are near the top of the rankings. It might even be top of the rankings in defense. I think they're second this season in, in in one of the metrics, which is fantastic. Yeah, that more than anything else convinces me that the Cavs could potentially be a title contender come the playoffs. If they're still, if they're doing if they're doing yeah. that, hey, if Donovan Mitchell is playing this great, Darius Garland's playing this great, and the team is playing defense as well as they are, yeah, kind of hard to bet. I mean, really, the only reason you bet against them would be lack of experience, perhaps. That you and know? I think they still struggle three point shooting. If Donovan, not, if Donovan, not one of their better strengths. Darius yes. is good, but if Donovan Mitchell's not hitting threes, we really struggle and. And the Kevin Love thumb injury doesn't help this because no, it doesn't. How many times last year did did our offense look just stagnant, and then Kevin Love come off the bench, hit like three threes, and then you know you start seeing the Cavalanche tweets. Yep, like the Cavs, like in the in a third. That happened so many times. Oh, in a third quarter or fourth quarter, like like they'll be down like six or whatever, and then you blink and they're up by fifteen because they went on a twenty-four to three run or something like that. Yep. Um. So I do think I, I I'm not ready to call the Cavs a title contender yet. They need Kobe Altman has done yeoman's work with this team and this roster, putting it together and everything. There's still one thing that he has not done, and he they've needed they've had a need for this ever since LeBron left, and they still haven't done it. They need a six eight wing that can play defense and that can hit a three. They tried on the trade for Karis Levert last year. It hasn't worked as of yet. Maybe he can turn it on. I don't know. I'm not really confident. I think he's too streaky. I think he has too much Larry Hughes in him. I don't really think you can trust Jetty. I love Jetty Osmond, but he has games where he scores 25 and then he'll disappear for a week and a half. I need somebody, even if it's somebody coming off the bench, I need somebody that can come in, play a little defense on the wing, 
And when Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland are driving and kicking, can hit an open shot from beyond the arc. That's what I need. And I think once the Cavs acquire that, I think they are legitimate title contenders this year hmm. if they can acquire that. So that's the DJF standard right there. That's right. All right. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. yeah. So as you go into the next week, uh, the Cavaliers' next game is against the Kings on Friday Cavs night. have a lot of home games coming then up. They've, yeah, home against the Kings, home against the Thunder. They played back-to-back games, actually, Friday and Saturday night. Yep. Then they go to San, then they go to Texas for two games. They play San Antonio on Monday and then Dallas next Wednesday. So that's their upcoming next week, and it's not that difficult of a week. This is a then week they where have, the Cavs could put up some more victories here. Then the Cavs have a six-game homestand after that. Oh, wow. Yeah, Indiana, Dallas again, Utah, Milwaukee, uh, Toronto, and then Brooklyn. And that Brooklyn game is on Boxing Day, day after Christmas. So Cavs are <laughs> – that's pretty nice. From December 16th through day after Christmas, you don't go on the road one time. Yeah. That's, that's pretty awesome. For 13 days, almost two weeks, they're at home. So this is where the Cavs – I mean, this is where the Cavs can kind of get fat with their record a little bit. Uh, and then even when they go on the road, like between Christmas and New Year's, they're only going to Indianapolis and Chicago. Yeah, it's not like they're traveling far. Right, that's that's like an hour flight both. What you know? Yeah, you know, because they're a charter flight. They don't have to. They don't have a layover in like freaking Detroit or something. <laughs> you imagine? You imagine flying Cleveland to Indianapolis and having like a layover in like uh, Atlanta. I don't think there is any <laughs> d- direct service between those two places. Yeah, you, you got to take the car, but right. uh, you know. So, May, that is the week that was with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Very nice. Okay. Let's talk about, well, actually, you know what? Real quick, the hot stove is firing in baseball. It is. And the Cleveland Indians put a pot Guardians. on the stove. <laughs> <sighs> Sorry. <laughs> We need to have like a like a like a uh, like a like a tip. No, we need to have like a tip jar when like yep. either one of us says Indians instead of Guardians. We got to put a dollar. Yeah, put a dollar in the jar. Yeah. Yep. So I'm I'm I I owe a dollar, but um, yeah, the Guardians have a pot on the stove. The Guardians have struck a deal for a slugging first baseman slash DH. Josh Bell is a Cleveland Guardian. This is the first time that I can remember since 2017 when the Guardians signed Edwin Encarnacion, that they are actually spending significant money in free agency. Five years. Five. It's five. Five years. Five years. Five years. Five years. Five years. But anyway. Uh, Let's hope this ends up not being a deal where he's like good for two and then not good after that. Like sometimes well, happens in free agency, but well, it's only a that's the risk you take. Uh, it's only a two-year deal, and it might actually only be a one-year deal. There is an opt-out in the deal. Hmm. So, Josh Bell, who is a 30-year-old switch hitting, which is key, first baseman DH. Uh, he came up with the Pittsburgh Pirates last year. He played with the Nationals before getting traded to the Padres in the. Juan Soto deal. He was having a very good year with the Nationals last year and then kind of fell off the cliff with the Padres. So 
Hopefully he can get back. He's a guy that in, I think, 2019, he hit 30-plus home runs, drove in over 100 runs, and batted like 290. Um, it's a hell of a lot easier to hit home runs at Nationals Park than it is at Petco. That's, that is very true. That's part of the reason I think he struggled in San Diego. That's very true. Well, hopefully he can regain that at Progressive Field. Progressive Field is <sighs> neutral to hitters leaning, yeah, I feel like. I agree with that. Because you have the big you have the big wall in left field, but it's 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 almost like it's not really a short porch like it is at Fenway. Yeah. But it is kind of a short porch. And then in the summertime, right center field is like a power alley. Right. I mean, you hit it up in you hit it up into the uh, up in uh to right center field in in the middle of summer, that ball is carrying. Yeah, it is interesting. Climate does impact progressive field quite a bit. It is more of a pitcher's ballpark in April and October, whereas yeah. it, in the middle portion of the year where it's hot and the balls carry, and it's, it's unless a you're Francisco animal. Lindor and you and you hit a grand slam off the top of the foul pole against the Yankees in 2017, <laughs> which we choked in. But <sighs> yeah, uh, speaking of the Yankees, uh, they literally gave Aaron Judge the Empire State Building. Nine years. Nine. Nine. Nine years, $360 million. That's nine, 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 nine. Yeah. <laughs> so hopefully the Guardians are not done. There are rumors <laughs> that they are going after uh, Sean Murphy, who is a all-star caliber catcher for the Oakland Athletics. The holdup on that is uh, the A's want the absolute moon for Sean Murphy. So – Wait a minute. So if, if the Yankees gave Aaron Judge the Empire State Building, does this mean that the Yankees were in the bathroom getting higher than the Empire State? I don't I don't understand the that's reference. A, that's a fun song reference. But yeah. Oh, okay. I'll take your word for it. We are young. Anyway. Oh, I thought you meant like, <laughs> okay, the band fun. I thought you were like, oh, yeah, that's a fun song. Uh, <laughs> yeah, fun uh, period. Yes. Tonight we are broke. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Friggin' Yankees. I love how too they're like, oh yeah. You didn't get any better. You just kept the guy that you had. True. You've done nothing. They lost a pitcher to the Cubs, J- Jackson Tyone or Jamison Tyone for four years, seventy million. So they need some starting pitching, and they still need more. But anyway, this isn't a Yankees podcast, but eh, screw the Yankees. Guardians need a catcher. I hope it's Sean Murphy. If not, I'm sure there's other guys out there. I think they also need a middle to late end rotation guy. But that, I think, is just more like icing on the cake. They have to get a catcher. Yes. Have to. We cannot have catchers batting 150 again. No. It's a free out. Yeah. That's worse than a pitcher in the National League pre, yeah. you know, pre DH coming in. Sean Murphy's going to hit 260 for you. As I, that's one of the that's probably one of the best batting averages for a catcher in the league. So, and he's very good defensively. So, if they can get if they can get the deal for Sean, I, I'll tell you what. You got Josh Bell. You got all of these young players who are going to get better and you add Sean Murphy, let's freaking go. The Guardians are going to win the division again if that happens. You'd certainly like them to. I mean, given the fact that they are the incumbent atop the AL Central. They're the best closer these, in baseball. You're making these changes and let's face it, most of your core is pretty young. So yeah. you're 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 gonna be in this for a while. Yeah. So 
It again, the Guardians <coughs> arc very similar to the Cavaliers. They they've got a lot to like both now and in the future. It's it's really a good situation, honestly. Yeah. And that was a that was a key move. That was a real statement of intent by the Guardians going out and getting Josh Bell. Because they could have just been their normal selves and just sat on it this offseason and, and not throwing well, so the money around. The, here's the thing. They went out and made a move like early. Yes. You know? So here's the thing. They did the same thing that the Guardians always do where, okay, uh, probably the number one free agent at first base, Jose Abreu, ends up signing with the Astros, and then it leaks that the Guardians, uh, oh, yeah, we went really hard after uh, Jose Abreu, but, you know, he just didn't pick us. How many times have we heard that over the last decade? Uh, a lot. Yeah. So at that point, I'm like, oh, great. Here we go. We're not going to sign anybody. And then, like, 48 hours later, they strike with the Josh Steele signing. So that is encouraging. So it means they, they were probably telling the truth when they were going after Brayu. Yeah, that is encouraging. So, hey, let's see what they can do. Let's see what they can pull off. Sean Murphy would be amazing. Mm. Amazing. But we'll see what happens. So... Yeah. Uh, the hot stove rages on. I saw Xander Bogart. How are the Padres paying all these players? I have not the slightest idea. Fernando Tatis Jr., Manny Machado, Juan Soto, and now Xander Bogarts. <laughs> That's like a bill in salary. <laughs> you stay classy, San Diego. <laughs> My goodness. Who are their I don't even know who their owners are. How are they getting this money? Like, they San- don't have a massive TV contract as far I as I'm know. concerned. I mean, San Diego is a bigger market than people realize. It is, you know, top 15, maybe even top 10 in population base. Maybe they're investing but, in FTX. But st- oh, well, <laughs> then they'd have no money. I know. <laughs> oh, that friggin' guy. Anyway. All right, so the hot stove rage is on. Hopefully the Guardians can uh, sign a couple more names, and uh, we can get we can start getting really excited about uh, next baseball season. But before we start thinking about baseball season, we have a football season that is, boy. Are we talking about football or football? Well, we'll get to that at the end. Okay. We'll get to football at the end. All right. But football. The American football. Yeah, football Americano. Uh the Browns have a game on Sunday. More, their toughest game remaining on the schedule. On paper and in theory, I think if the Browns win this game on Sunday, I think they're going to be favored in every game. In the re- well, maybe not because that Washington game's on the road. If that Washington game is at home, I think they might be favored. And it depends on how the Commanders are doing by the time we get out there. So there's a chance if the Browns win on Sunday, they could get they could be favored for every game the rest of the year because it's looking like Lamar Jackson probably is not he might not play against the Browns. And I actually think the Browns he's definitely not playing this week. He's not. And I actually think the Browns lucked out because the NFL flexed the Browns Ravens game a day forward, which might work in their to benefit. Saturday, yes. Four twenty five start on Saturday. Yeah. Might work in their benefit as far as Lamar Jackson getting back from injury. So yeah. it's gonna be interesting to see, you know, are the Browns going to play to the recent history against the Bengals where uh, you know, we just, you know, no matter what happens, we just can't seem to lose against this team. Or are the Bengals and Joe Burrow finally going to rise up and say, okay, enough of this, and they're going to finally beat the Cleveland Browns? If the Browns, this is, this 
is a very important game for both teams, obviously. The Bengals can essentially not put a ch- – well, it all depends on the Lamar injury, but if, if the Ravens beat the Browns, they essentially knock the Browns out. Bengals – this well, Ravens too. Um, that would be true in either case. What do you mean? You said if the Ravens beat the Browns. Oh, sorry. If the Bengals beat the Browns. I mean, either one would be true. Whether the, right. Because both of these next two games are must-wins, folks. Right. But uh, the rest of the season are must-wins. You, um, could, you could just easily make a case for that, too, yes. But if the Browns – if the Bengals beat the Browns, they essentially – they knock the Browns out. And, and then we'll see what happens with the – with Lamar Jackson and the Ravens. Because what happened last year? Lamar Jackson got hurt. And the Ravens didn't win another game the rest of the season. He went from being a Super Bowl contender to just nobody. That's their team. He is their team, yeah. especially on offense. I mean, they they can't do anything without him. Um, so it's going to be interesting. What are your feelings going into this game on Sunday? I really don't know what to expect. Yeah, I'm the same way. This could be a game where the Browns just take it to the Bengals again, like they have the last two or three times. Or this could be the the game where the Bengals, like you say, are just super sick and tired of losing to the Browns and and are going to right that wrong and they come out. I have a feeling when the Bengals lose this streak, it's going to be a game where like the Browns lose like thirty seven to ten yeah. or something like that. Yeah, you know, I do. Yeah, I do agree with that because I I do think if this game is close in the fourth quarter, I think the Browns will have the Bengals right where they want them. Which is re- almost ridiculous to say because the Browns have been so bad in the fourth quarter this right. year. But this True. is the one scenario where you might think, oh, well, they actually might have the mental edge. Yeah. You know, I'm very, you know, I haven't read any of the media, especially the media coming out of Cincinnati this week. I'm actually kind of intrigued to do so because how are they playing this? Are they playing this as, oh, yeah, Bengals beat the Chiefs again, proving they're a Super Bowl team again? Or are they going with the, well, now not so fast? You're playing against a Cleveland team that's beaten you five straight times and, and are asking them a lot of questions about that. You know, you, there's two different completely diametrical ways that, that you could yeah. view that. It's al- It almost seems – excuse me. It almost seems ridiculous to think because we've beaten the Bengals five straight times, but do you think them beating the Chiefs might make them look past us a little bit? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, is does. that ridiculous to say? I don't think that's ridiculous at all. I think the this if there's any situation where the Bengals might be, you know, feeling really good about themselves and reading their press clippings and everything, then you know, now would be the time where especially considering what's going on in Baltimore where you don't know if Lamar Lamar Jackson being injured, maybe they're thinking, "Oh, the Ravens are going to lose their edge now. It's our division to win." Perfect scenario for them to come out and lay an egg this Sunday. Perfect scenario. Yeah, I agree. Um. Yeah, it's gonna be interesting. I, uh, you know, Deshaun Watson did not look good, <laughs> putting it mildly, on Sunday, hitting a lot of players in the ankles. Yeah. Which, as we said on Sunday, better for him to hit him in the ankles than to hit him in the helmet. This is true, <laughs> or above the head. Yeah. <laughs> I think he's going to be a lot better on Sunday. I would agree with that. I think just getting the experience of having a live pass, of playing against a live pass rush. Now, 
The Houston Texans are not very good, obviously. They're the worst team in football. Yeah, well, they definitely showed that again this past week. But you can, and we know that Deshaun Watson practiced for three weeks before this first game, but there is absolutely no simulation for a live pass rush. There's not. Especially in today's NFL when they really don't even practice. They practice against air. It's all seven-on-seven stuff. And he talked about it in uh, – he, he spoke to the media today. He's like, you know – he's like, first of all, that was a very emotional game for him. Not only was he was his first game off suspension, it was his first game back playing in over 700 days. He was playing against his former team in the city where he played. Highly emotional moment. Yeah, you know. and he admitted it. He's like, you know, it got the it got to the better of it, it got it got the better of me. He was playing with some jitters. I can't blame him for that. Everything that this and now, again, I'm not trying to be sympathetic to Deshaun Watson the person because we still don't know what the hell happened with him. Probably. I'm talking about know. right. I'm talking about as a player on the field. That's a lot to have to go through and to be able to perform when you haven't played in 700 days. Now. Do I think we're going to see 2020 Deshaun Watson that led the league in passing on Sunday? No. But I do think that we're he's going to be a lot better on Sunday. He he would have to you would think he he's got to be. Well, he can't he can't like, be any worse. He if, was bad. You know, if the sake of argument, if he's that bad again, the Bengals are going to win by that 37 to 10. Oh, absolutely. Score. It's absolutely. not even, it's going to be ugly. Cuz we're not going to get two defensive touchdowns. We're not going to get a touchdown on special teams. You know, we're not going to be able to rely on that. Might possibly get one. Well, but maybe you're not going to get multiple. Maybe it does. It does seem like outside of playing the worst team in the NFL, our defense only plays has only played well really this year against the Bengals. Browns, I think I could be wrong about this, but I think the Browns have scored on defense in each of the last three games against the Bengals. Did we in the first game of this year? I think we did. I know we got a turnover on the first drive. But I don't think we scored. We scored off of that turnover, but I think the offense scored it. Hmm. Maybe it was a situation where we got to return inside the twenty and yeah. The you could be right. You could be right about the other times. Yeah, oh, I, I don't know if I don't know if we scored on on defense against. I think that was, I think last week was our first time scoring a non-offensive touchdown last week. Whether it be special teams or defense, it's actually kind of remarkable that in what was it ten eleven games before that we didn't have a defense or special teams touchdown prior to that. Yeah. Well, our defense and our spe- well, we're not not very good on either. Our defense, ball, so. our defense, we're not turning the ball. We're not getting turnovers. We did this week, but and then special teams has has just been an abject disaster, uh, you know, all season. It's worth noting that the Bengals have been struggling defensively, even yeah. as they're they've been coming up recently. They surrendered twenty one points to the Moribund Panthers, and then they gave up thirty to the Steelers. Now, granted, they still won those both of those games, but. Yeah, you know, the Chiefs. They actually did a decent job against the Chiefs. Like this, this isn't an elite unit. This is a unit that the Brown. I mean, the Browns did very well against them the first time this season. They could easily do it again. I mean, to say nothing of the game in Cincinnati last year, where yeah. Nick Chubb just ran all over them. So, you know. And I think the key for the Browns' defense is to get pressure on Joe Burrow early. Now, Joe Burrow is probably uh, the best quarterback in the NFL when he's pressured but for whatever reason that's not the case against the Browns he has the, and he even talked about it uh and when in his media availability today they're like somebody at, flat out asked him like 
what is it about the Browns? Like, what's different about uh, you know them compared to other teams? He's like, he's like, well, they have Miles Garrett. That he's pretty different than anybody else in the league. So Miles Garrett is always in the back of Joe Burrow's mind. I think if you can, if Miles can get off to a hot start, this is one of the games where you know we complain and we have on this show about how Miles is great at the beginning of games. And then how often does he actually turn, take over a game late? He did that against Tampa Bay. Yep. This is actually a game where I feel like it's better off for the Browns if Miles Garrett gets like a sack or two in the first quarter. Because he is just – he that Joe Burrow, for whatever reason – and can you really blame him? It's Miles Garrett. I mean, if you see Miles Garrett coming at you, you're going you're gonna to shudder. Oh, yeah. But if Miles Garrett sacks him once or twice early in this game – I think that's when you can can see the chinks in the armor of Joe Burrow a little bit. And then I Zach Taylor I is he going to be the stupid idiot he was in the first game and just not run the ball against the Browns having the worst rush defense in the NFL or is he going to wise up and is he actually going to run the ball? One can only hope so. Um I wouldn't expect that, but who knows. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Sometimes um, head coaches have a tendency to just overthink themselves. Yeah. So the line right now, I think, is Bengals minus six. Where do you fall on that? See, this is a tough game to go on the spread because I think this will be a more than one score victory on either side. I just can't decide which side it's going to be. Yeah. Because you look at it, you look at it and you're like, well, the Bengals are red hot. The Browns, yeah, they've won two in a row, but they're, you know, not great. So if this was like any other two teams, I feel like you'd be like, oh, yeah, the Bengals. The the six points might be a little treacherous, but Bengals are at home. You would think they just came off beating the Chiefs. You would think, okay, yeah, they should be able to handle the Browns. But for whatever reason, especially ever since Kevin Stefanski has become the coach of the Browns, they just don't lose to the Bengals. Yeah, they don't. That's the bottom line, and uh, that's it for me. I mean, I'm going Browns here, going Browns all day until until the Bengals show that they can beat the Browns. I'm I'm not impressed. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm certainly taking the Browns plus the points. And again, I think if it's going to be a close game, like if it's within a touchdown late, I think the Browns have the edge late in the game. I think I I know that sounds crazy. You're going up against Joe Burrow. With the game on a line in the fourth quarter, I mean, everybody says he's Brady Jr. But this series, the Browns just seem to have the number, and I feel like if the game is close at the end, I think the Bengals are more prone to make the mistake than the Browns are. Yeah, I agree. Because for so long, up until up until last year, the Bengals were always that team where if if there's a way that they could fumble it away at the end, they'll figure out a way to do it. How often did have you been saying in the past that anytime the Bengals are in a close game at the end, you're just assuming that they're going to do something stupid they, to lose for the game? They, for years, were as almost as bad as teams like the Chargers and the Falcons, yeah. who are like the two worst teams in the league when it comes to handling themselves in the fourth quarter. Maybe Detroit, too, uh, is another horrible team when it comes to handling themselves in the fourth quarter. But, uh, yeah, 
I mean, that's just that's just it. That's who they were until last year when it seemed like everything just clicked for them, particularly in the postseason. So see how this goes. You yeah, know, so like we I say, Browns too. Browns mean, have to go we have to go just concentrate on going one and oh each week. Yeah, know? and the Browns have to play with, with a desperation, especially if the game is close. Uh, at the end, the Browns have to be the more desperate team because, like you just said, their season is on the line. Every, they put themselves in this position. The season is on the line every week for the rest of the season. All right. Bengals can afford to have this game slip, which would not be a good thing for them because then the Are Browns Are you sure about that? Because wouldn't that drop the Bengals to 0-4 in the division? Uh, or no? No, they do have a win against the Steelers. But... Oh, they played the Steelers twice already? Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, so, so they're, they're one, one and three, three in the AFC Still North. one and four. Yeah, that's usually not a winning formula. But the thing is, the Bengals are they seven can't and one lo- against yeah, the rest of the league. They can't lose against the rest of the league. <laughs> they better hope they don't come. They don't. They better hope they don't face the like the, Ra- face, the Ravens and the Browns, the Browns in the playoffs. The playoffs, right? Because they'll lose, <laughs> right? <laughs> that's hilarious. Won't be the Browns because the Browns aren't going to get a wild card. Yeah, that's true. Unless they get ten wins. But yeah, if they get I ten just, wins, uh, I'm thinking division. Uh, could the Ravens or the Bengals get eleven wins? I guess they could, but yeah, you'd still think in any scenario where the Browns get ten and seven, that gives the Ravens and Bengals another head-to-head loss. So they'd have to go three and one in their other games to get to eleven wins. I'm yeah. not sure that they would. Yeah, so, especially the Bengals because they have a really tough schedule. Coming yeah, in. they still have to play Tampa. They still have to play Buffalo. Buffalo. They uh, there's somebody else in there that they they, they who's good too. Uh, pulling up their games real quick. They have to play Baltimore again. They got to play New England also. Yeah. So like every game, they don't literally have an easy game is the rest of the way. no, they don't. No. <laughs> so maybe this is a more important game than I realized for Cincinnati. Yeah. But uh, yeah. so anyway, big one on Sunday. Big, 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 big one. And then if they if we beat the Bengals, that game at home against Baltimore on a Saturday at four thirty. My God, is that going to be an atmosphere? Whether yeah. Lamar Jackson is playing or not. It's going to be an atmosphere regardless. Also, it's going to be Deshaun Watson's first that, game. I was just going to say that. It's going to be his first home game. Right. And uh, if his first game at home is coming off of a huge win in Cincinnati. Third win in a row also. to it's, I, I said, listen, I said I'm not worried about tiebreakers until the Browns get to 7-7. Seven and seven. If they can get to 7-7, seven and seven, I think we have a tiebreaker figuring out party at that point. But you have to win these next two games. Are we going to be drinking seven and sevens at that party? Hell, Hell yeah, I might be drinking something. <laughs> something with a kick, kind of like this Christmas sale. So, yeah, huge, huge, huge game for the Browns on Sunday. Hopefully they come out and they play with desperation and they leave it all out there. So, all right. That is the Browns, and now let's end the episode. Talk about another football, football association football. Yeah, the Copa del Mundo, the FIFA World Cup is in the quarterfinal stage now. We had the round of sixteen stage from Saturday through Tuesday. It got kicked off with the U.S. men's national team playing against Netherlands, and the Netherlands won that fixture three to one, knocking tough. the U.S. out of the tough, tournament. Tough, 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 tough. Uh, some really poor. Marking on defense on some of the goals, which we didn't see in the group stage, which is frustrating. Horrific man marking in the box. 
Maybe that's just because Netherlands are just better than the teams the U.S. faced in the group stage. That's what I think. But yeah, but it, none none of that had to do none of that had to do with talent. I mean, our guys just didn't like the first goal. Tyler Adams just didn't track back. Yeah. Uh, what was the second, second goal? Serginho Dest. Oh, fell absolutely just <laughs> fell asleep. And then the third goal. Uh, uh, Anthony Robinson wasn't even in the screen when the ball came into the box. <laughs> it wasn't like none of those three goals were like your guys getting beat one on one, like and 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 the guy getting a shot off. None of that. There weren't any any goalkeeper howlers or anything like that. You know, Matt Turner had a very solid tournament. It was just, you know, people got like our defenders got lost. That's what happened. So, I mean, there wasn't the damn thing Turner could have done on any of those three no, goals. No, and again, and and. The U.S. They need to take a class class in how to finish chances. Uh, that now that because was they the, didn't do it all tournament. That was the there consistent was like thing through the whole tournament. Three or four chances that Weston McKinney flubbed this entire tournament. Mm-hmm. How about the the Christian Pulisic one in the first ten minutes of the game against the Netherlands? That would have yeah. Totally you're the one on with the game. keeper and keep credit to the keeper. He made a fabulous kick save. But I mean, I know I know he had a bruised dick and everything, but you know. There was that, and then the one that was even worse was the one that Haji Wright got, oh. and, he, and he tried to go around the keeper, but he took a horrible touch to the right <laughs> and killed his angle. Yeah. So, but yeah, let, let's let's the U.S. is out, unfortunately. But yeah. hey, credit to them for getting out of the group. That's what we wanted. We wanted them to get out of the group, and then you know we're looking towards 2026 when we will be the host nation. So dare I say, most of the round of sixteen was chalk, boring, and chalk, with one exception. The uh, team that I am now rooting for to win the whole damn thing, and that would be the Atlas Lions of Morocco. Yes. Okay. Yes, because they, the North Africans, played a thrilling nil-nil against the team across the Gibraltar straight from them, Spain, yep. and then it took them out on penalties because Spain couldn't make a penalty to save their they lives. They didn't make one. <laughs> <laughs> Not one. Think about this. They played 120 minutes of football, did not score a goal the entire time, and then took three penalty kicks and still didn't put one in the net. Oh, my God. <laughs> and then and then uh, for his troubles, uh, their manager uh, was shown the door the next day. Sacked. <laughs> so quarterfinals begins. Luis Enrique. I couldn't remember his name. Yeah. Um, so the quarterfinal round starts tomorrow. Uh, first game is at 10 a.m. tomorrow morning. It is Croatia against Brazil. Croatia was finalist in the last World Cup, whereas Brazil had a five. Say my prayers for my Croatian brethren. Mm. Brazil, of course, five-time world champion. Brazil but they just have looks not insane. Hoisted that trophy in 20 years, yeah. so it's been a while for them. Following that, 2 p.m. tomorrow afternoon, Netherlands versus Argentina. By the way, they should not have hoisted that trophy that year. But I'll leave that there. 2002. Uh, um, correct me. So on our World Cup preview show, it was Brazil and Ar- uh, Brazil and Argentina were you and Brian Hoyer's picks. I can't remember whose was which, though. I had Argentina. You had Argentina. So our two picks to win this tournament are playing each other in this round, Netherlands versus Argentina. Mm-hmm. So, uh, again, when you talk about Argentina, Lionel Messi is having a great tournament. Some of the other players have are having great tournaments as yep. well. Julian Alvarez, Enzo Fernandez, they've 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 all had good tournaments. You know, Netherlands, one of the top rising stars of this tournament, Cody Gakpo, Cody Gakpo has yep. had a great tournament. Uh, 
that defense anchored by Virgil Van Dyke. You know they've been pretty stout. They've only given up one, two goals in this tournament. This People game, he's the best. He's the best defender of all time. My freaking ass! Oh, ugh, egotistical, narcissistic, even. But um, I do somehow. Maybe, correct me. I don't know. Maybe this is the wrong take. But given the teams that are left, and given the histories of these teams, you got Morocco and Portugal in another semifinal. I mean, quarterfinal. Excuse me. Portugal put six goals past Switzerland on yeah. Tuesday. I mean, yeah, Ronaldo my, didn't my even goodness. play. Yeah, well, he did play late, his, but his replacement, Goncalo Ramos, uh, put up three goals of his own. Yep. And then the rest of the <laughs> they had three other goals. It was just Rafael crazy. Leao scored for Portugal. Mm-hmm. The Milanista. And then, of course, you've got England against France in the other quarterfinal match. France has been probably the team that has done the most to bust my bracket in this tournament. Have you known me to ever root for France? No. That will change. Oh, really? I will be rooting heavily for, for the France. The France. Wow. Hey, Olivier Giroud plays for Milan. He's France's striker. Uh, Teo Hernandez, Fran- uh, France's left back. He plays for Milan. Don't have any Milan players on England. No, there should be one, but they snubbed him. Fakayo Tamori, he should be playing for England, but he's not. Oh, yeah, that was a snub. So, and also, you want to talk about narcissistic... How about everybody that roots for England? And all their players. It's coming home. It's coming home. No, it's not coming home. The France is going to kick your ass. (laughs) Kylian Mbappe is going to score, and so is Olivier Giroud. Yep. (laughs) Yep. And probably Tyro Hernandez, too. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I'm, I'm going with France for that one. I, I, this does have the feel of this is where England goes out. Just the way France has been so good up to this point. <laughs> who's the, who's the guy, who's the guy that, uh, uh, that announced the U.S. games? Uh, John Strong and Steve I, I could just, John Strong, Mbappe! <laughs> France goes up 1 0. Or my favorite call of the tournament, Messi! I know. I don't know. That's what he just. He just. He just says the guy's last name and just like, like even when he did the uh, the, the the Tim Wea goal. Tim Wea. Yeah. Oh. yeah. So, go France. So maybe this is a ridiculous take, given what happened in the last round and up to the in the tournament so far. You hot takes, no way. And maybe I just have a tendency to stick with choices I've made. I get, I have a real feeling that the the overall winner of the tournament is going to come out of that Netherlands Argentina match. Well, I I I would like that because that means real, that means either you're getting your winner yeah, or I'm getting I, my. I really winner. feel it because Argentina. This is the round where they've failed a lot. Yeah, the round 2006, 2010. Well, 14 they went to the final. Uh, 14 they broke through to the final. Uh, they got beat by Germany. Um, but it's us- this is usually about the time where they disappoint. And is this going to be – I feel like if they break through this one, I mean, I guess Croatia could beat Brazil. I don't think that's going to happen. But, you know, I just feel like if they get by Netherlands, they, I, I would take, have them to get by Brazil. Brazil, for some reason, you know, they look dominant, but they've had teams that on paper have been this good in, in years past. Yeah. 
And in every every World Cup, they have a team this good. And like you said, they haven't won it in 20 uh, years. Semifinal round, man. Yeah. That's 7-1 to Germany eight years ago. You know, they, they've got some bad juju. So um, who does Morocco play? Morocco Portugal? plays Portugal. Mm. Which is the other match? If you're looking for another team that a team that has not won the tournament previously, you know you look at Netherlands, you look at Croatia. Portugal is the other team you might look at. Um, did Portugal, quote unquote, shoot their wad in the last game? You know, scoring six goals, are they just not going to have anything left? Are they going to be shooting blanks in this game, or are they going to come out and play as well as they did against uh, Switzerland? Yeah, Morocco's been tough as hell. They they've won two games and tied the other two. One one of those ties on penalties. Listen, if the U.S. is not in in it anymore, and obviously Italy's not in the tournament, I'm rooting for the smallest nation to win the whole thing. Because why would I want one of the one of the blue bloods to win? Like why would I like I, I'm an Italian. You're, I have, you're coming around to my side now. I'm an Italian. I have four World Cups. Why would I want Brazil to get a sixth? That, exactly. You know. Why do you even want Argentina to get a third or France to get a third? Yeah. You know? I mean, Germany's out, so I'm not going to worry about them getting a fifth. Uh, so if you're worried about that, you definitely want Brazil to go out. Yeah. And then after that, you're probably teams of next wanting out would be France and Argentina. Yep. But, I mean, Argentina was your pick to win the tournament, so I don't I don't blame you if you're supporting them Yeah. at this point. I would like – is it possible to have an Argentina-Morocco final? Yeah. Yes, it is. I would love that. Yes, it is. And quite frankly, I would love the idea of an African team crashing the finals of a World Cup is just it's never happened awesome. before, has it? It has never happened before. Yeah. The, the Morocco is the fourth team from Africa to reach a quarterfinal. The three previous teams, Senegal in 02, Ghana in 2010, and Cameroon back in 1990, none of them won this round. Mm. And Ghana was the closest to doing so. And it was Luis Suarez's infamous handball on the goal line that, F and, that Asim, guy. and then Asamojian's penalty miss that Listen, caused I'm, that I'm, whole thing. I, I don't I don't say F F Luis Suarez because of what he did against Ghana. I hate Ghana, so that's fine. F Luis Suarez for biting Giorgio Chiellini in the twenty ten World Cup and then uh Italy uh losing out in the group stage. He wasn't even sent off for that, was he? He didn't even get a card for that. Yeah. But, yeah, I'm not still salty about it or anything. Yeah, I mean, if Uruguay goes down to 10 men, they don't win that game. No. Sorry. No. <laughs> that was total malpractice against Italy on that day. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's our World Cup roundup. And uh, we'll be back again with that next week as we will be looking towards the semis at that point. Or will the semis Actually, we'll be played? previewing the final because Tuesday, Wednesday of the upcoming week is the semis. Oh, okay. So, yeah. Yeah, we'll know who our two finalists are by next wow. week. Yeah. All right. So we will preview the World Cup final next week. Crazy. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, I think that's going to do it for us on this uh, episode of Living Off the Land. Uh, appreciate you guys listening once again. Episode 239 is in the books. Uh, go Browns on Sunday. Uh, when do the Cavs play again? Tomorrow? Cavs play again tomorrow against Sacramento. And then go Cavs. Saturday against Oklahoma City. Go Cavs. So. Um, that's gonna yeah, like I said, that's gonna do it for us. Uh, you can find us on social media at Stiffs McGee at Daniel J Ford, and you can follow the show at the L O T L podcast. And uh, yeah, we'll be back on Sunday at some point for a Browns post game show. Hopefully, hopefully we're ah 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 staying, staying alive. alive, staying alive. <laughs>
Uh, but we'll f- we'll find out Stay on Sunday. <laughs> anyway, we'll see you guys next week, or actually on Sunday. So for Stephen, I'm Dan. You've been listening to Living Off the Land, and we'll see you next week. Bye.